1: That he loved you For the gift of his son For our rescue Well, give him thanks Yeah, give him thanks There'll come a day And there'll be no pain And every tear He'll wipe away And death There'll be no more For the Lamb Came and saved the day. So give him thanks.
0: All right. Good morning to all of you again. Could you turn your Bibles to um, Ephesians chapter one, verse one? Okay, we're going to start our verse by verse study of Ephesians today. As you can see on the board, we're going to uh, look at uh, the beginning. Uh, look at the beginning of this verse, Ephesians one one. We'll be noting the identification of the author of the epistle, uh, and then we'll be um, noting the description of himself there, and also then on uh tuesday this coming tuesday on the 7th we'll be looking at oh, no <laughs> on the 7th uh what's today the 11th so it will be on the 14th oh valentine's day 14th and uh we'll be looking at uh, the rest of the verse the identification of the recipients of the letter so that's uh what we're gonna be doing today and uh just getting myself situated make sure i'm lined up with the camera here uh, so, we're going to um, begin this verse by verse study of Ephesians. We finished our introduction, a, a part introduction, and, uh, which uh, noted some very important things with regards to interpreting this particular letter correctly and properly. And so, uh, that's uh, what we'll be doing. Uh, so, now today we, we get into the verse by verse study. We're an expository type ministry for those who are not familiar with that. Uh, expository type expository-type ministry is one that, uh, that we go through the different books of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, we alternate between, between Old Testament and New Testament. We go verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book. Uh, for instance, uh, something like Ephesians will go verse by verse, and, uh, and, and also, but what we go to, if those who've done Genesis with me or Exodus or uh, books like that, we cover more ground. We'll take a paragraph or whatever because they're bigger books, and also the type of genre, literary genre it is. A lot of times, historical narratives, you can take big chunks so um but something like Paul we've given up propositions and commands and prohibitions and affirmations and assertions and all stuff that some of them you could do a, a lesson on each one of them so but what I try to do when I do that is when I go verse by verse is also keeping mind always the context in which we find uh, the verse that we're, we're studying the context in which it's found whether it's what's gone on before it or what goes after immediately after it and then we try to look at the statement, or whatever verse we're looking at, in light of the whole epistle or book we're working on, and then in light of the New Testament and Old Testament, whatever uh, testament we're in, and then light of the whole Bible. So, uh, so uh, that's uh, so we're uh, we, all of our recordings for those who are unfamiliar with this ministry. We always have new people coming into the ministry uh, because we on the on the internet. Uh, I don't I don't know who pops in unless they email me. Uh, we uh, we're Western Bible Ministries is a non denominational church. Uh, I was ordained in uh, Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Mass. Back in 1998, started my first church plant in August of 2001 in the Iowa Cedar Rapids, Iowa area. Uh, I had a church there in uh, Norway, Iowa, and I left there in two, August of 2010. And started a house church with some other families in Marion, Iowa, which is adjacent to Cedar Rapids. And then in 2019, I left there in June to uh, return to Massachusetts, and I uh, helped my to help my dad with my mother who had. Has dementia. She's now in a nursing home. I spent three years with him and her. And then uh, then I, since the crisis passed, she's in a nursing home. She's doing better, and, and uh, she's not at home. And it was very difficult for my father. So I decided to come back and help him with her. And so then eventually we had to put her in a nursing home, unfortunately. And uh, But she's doing well there in, in the town that we're in, uh, the, my dad, uh, our hometown. So he gets to see her every day. And uh, so the, about a year after he, we had to put her in, you know, I, I got a jo- an offer to uh, start a church out in, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, where I am now, where Winston Bible Ministries is now located, where I am broadcasting. I'm actually broadcasting about a half mile from the church that I, uh, now I'm the pastor of, Doctrine and Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, if you're in the area, we're at 1215 Russell Street, Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama, right off Oakwood, and uh, and um, Andrew Jackson right around that corner there. So if you're in the area, come on down. And uh, I teach there on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. and uh, and also on Sundays. I teach two sessions with a break in between. Um, right now, over there, I'm teaching the book of Obadiah. We'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 tomorrow. And then on Wednesdays, I'm teaching the doctrine of inspiration. So what I do at Doctrine Bible Church is very similar to what I do here with Winston Bible Ministries is that I do um, I do a book on Sunday, whatever the book I do. The, I do the different books of the Bible on, on Sundays. And then on the, weekday, on the weekday, on Wednesday evenings, I do I do also um, the different doctrines of the Christian faith. So we've already knocked off Tr- uh, Tr- the Trinity, Canonicity, and now we're doing the Doctrine of Inspiration. And uh, with Western Bible Ministries, uh, my class schedule is Saturday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And again, I'm located uh, at 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama 35801. For those who want to um, who send uh, money to this ministry, that's our new address. And also, you can people give through PayPal on our uh website. Uh, people who can uh, contribute to the ministry through PayPal. Uh, some people send checks. Some people send um, send it through PayPal. Whatever is convenient. And then. With our DBC, with Dr. Bible Church, I'm teaching on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we start, and then we have a break for about, I teach about almost an hour, and then I take a break. It depends on, it could be 10, 15, 20 minutes, so it depends. And then um, then I do finish off, and we're usually out of there by noon. Uh, and also, we, we observe the Lord's Supper over there at Dr. Bible Church on Sunday, the first Sunday of each month. In Western Bible Ministries, we, we observe the Lord's Supper the first Saturday of uh, each month. And uh, so, um, uh, and also our, our website, if you want to, uh, um, if you go to Dr. Winston Bible Ministries and you get all of our, our uh, MP3 and MP4 recordings up to June of 2019 are on Winston Bible Ministries. And from Ju- July August of 2019, all of our MP3 and MP4 recordings for our classes are now on our Faith Life Sermons website. So there's a link to that site. Uh, if you Google me, you'll see it. And so uh, I, I have a lot of stuff up there now. Um, I'm fi- trying to. I'm almost finished uploading all of Romans that I did at, uh, in Iowa back in 2000, uh, ten, eight through, uh, 2008 to 2010 or 11. And um, and so uh, also, if you uh, all of our written articles are up there, we have over 1,700 written articles in PDF format. That's right, over 1,700. I actually counted them. Uh, and then. Um, we have a YouTube page. Uh, if you go to the bottom of Winston Bible, org, you'll see the little YouTube insignia and our Facebook insignia. You go to It'll click, take you right to our Facebook page, Winston Bible Ministries. Uh, you can Google me. You'll see all that stuff. Um, also, we have another website called Academia at edu, where I have over 700 of my written articles up there. We're doing very well there. We're in the top 1% of views. We have almost... 850,000 views now and uh, over th- over 3,500 followers. We've been only only since um, 2017. and uh, But all of my written articles, everything I've ever done is on, on the Winston Bible Mysteries, the exegesis exposition of the different books we've done over the last 25, 30 years, and also the different doctrinal subjects over the years. Uh, Greek word studies, uh, person, uh, different person, personages in the Bible. There's, there's prep school material there uh so uh and also on my music i write and perform my own christian music and actually i'm getting one of my songs don't grow weary professionally recorded with a guy here in huntsville he's very talented he's only 22 years old but he's really good and it's almost done so i'll pop it onto the website eventually it's going to be uh, released on uh, spotify uh and once we finish it and um and also uh Wenstrom Bible Ministries. We have different. We have podcasts on Spotify, Amazon Music, and uh, iTunes, and you just have to search in those uh, different uh, applications under Wentz Bible Ministries, and you'll see us. And I have over almost three thousand now podcasts that I put up there, and, and over the last uh, couple of years since we got on these different podcasts, so um, a lot of material there. And uh, we're uh, Grace Ministry, and of course, uh, Galatians six six says those who taught the word of God are share good things with those who teach them, So if you are benefiting from my te- my teaching, it's uh, you're obligated according to that passage to uh, reciprocate and uh, and because uh, I'm I'm totally uh, I'm supported by the the, the financial gifts of uh, the the, the, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, I don't put a price on my teaching. I've had actually deacons in the way back asking why don't I do that. It's like well uh, I don't want to have money. If you look at there's an article on our website and uh, I explain in detail, but I, to paraphrase it, it's I don't want money to be a stumbling block for people hearing the gospel. And Jesus and the apostles didn't charge for their teaching. The prophets of Israel didn't. And I know there are good men that do, and I, that's that's their choice between them and God. I don't see uh, any biblical justification. Yes, we're supposed to get our living from the gospel, but I don't see it where it says we're supposed to put a price on anything. So let's say, for instance, I put a $25 price tag on my doctrine of justification. Now, somebody... And some part of the country, or some part of this world who doesn't have that kind of money, is not going to be able to get that. And I don't want that ever to happen. So I'll just have to go and take the hit. And I'm sure the Lord, will, the Lord will take care of me and, and, and reward me for, for doing that. And I'm not really concerned about what other people are doing. I just don't see the, the justification biblically. I mean, yes, if you could give me good reason why I could charge for my teaching biblical justification, I would do it in a flash. It would make my life a lot easier. <laughs> trust me, over the years. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to do that because I don't see any j- biblical justification. I've yet to have any, any read, read any scholar that's changed my mind about that. So, And so uh, that's, uh, so that's uh, who we are, what we do. And let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We always take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, to determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. And we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. So, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing, or distracting you, do what First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your Word. We thank you so much for this grace that you've given to us to have another day on in creation, to enjoy your creation and to fellowship in your Word. I thank you, Father, for uh, your work on our behalf in eternity past and electing and predestinating us to be conformed to the image of your Son. I thank you, Father, also for uh, the work of your Son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at your right hand, which delivered us from eternal condemnation uh enslavement to sin and satan's cosmic system spiritual and physical death our personal sins condemnation from the law and we thank you for the work of the holy spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection in particular at the moment of our justification through the baptism of the spirit identifying us with your son in his crucifixion death burial resurrection and session at your right hand which if we appropriate by faith we'll be able to experience that victory in time and we just thank you for giving us the victory in a perfective sense when we're in a resurrection body at the rapture which is imminent And uh, we thank you for this great love that you demonstrated to us, to both your Son and the Spirit when you sent your Son to the cross to suffer your wrath in our place when we were your enemies. And then raising us up and seating us with your Son, Jesus Christ, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. So we thank you for this grace and this love. And we pray that we can reflect this love back in our interaction with each other in the body of Christ and also the non-Christian community. Father, I thank you for this study in Ephesians. I pray you would bless it. And I just thank you for those who might be viewing or listening to this class at a later uh, live with a later data with the recordings and our various website podcasts and media platforms that you've given to us i thank you for them i pray you protect them and use them mightily i also pray that the, that the audience your children in the audience would help them to learn understand what's being taught and make application to concentrate please break down any barriers that in satan would put up to hint of that been happening and any unsaved to, from understanding the gospel help the those who are not Christians that are in the, listening in or wa- watching, that they would, uh, through the Spirit, be able to understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, and we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. I also pray that you would empower me to bring forth your full counsel by the Spirit, to bring forth your full counsel with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, so that your people can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and saviors, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, there'll be no problems with the recordings, the video and the audio, and upload of these things, again, to our various website, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. I pray you protect these things from the evil one and uh, use them mightily. I also pray, thank you for the service provided by YouTube with the streaming video, live video. I just pray that uh, would function properly. And again, thank you for that, that service that they provide. So Father, we pray for this uh, service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Alrighty, we're going to uh, study, uh, a little picture here, change up, change up my little view here, see if I can get another one. Oh, let's try that. So I'm going to continue, so you get a little bit of view of my office, my new office. Uh, so uh, we're going to continue our study of the, uh, the book of Ephesians, and it should take us probably between two and three years I think it was a little a little less than two years that we did First Thessalonians. We had like a two-month break because I had moved from Iowa to uh, Massachusetts. Uh, but uh, six chapters long. So it probably, I'd say, say it's going to be probably three years that we're in this book. And uh, so uh, it's a great book, and there's a lot a lot to it. We, as we pointed out in our introduction, uh, Paul wrote this particular epistle uh, from the, uh, in, while under house arrest in, the, in, in Rome, awaiting his appeal before Caesar, uh, as according to Acts 28. Also, Ephesians 3, 1 and 4, 1, say he was a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, it was house arrest. It wasn't like the Mammoth dungeon, which uh, he experienced in his second imprisonment, which ended in his death. Uh, so this book was written between 60 and 62 AD from Rome. And uh, it was the recipients of this letter, we're not just the Ephesian Christian community, but also the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, as we pointed out. It's a circular letter. Uh, we also uh, know this is it's a letter. It's a typical uh, Greco-Roman letter uh, in the first century, and it has the form and as we pointed out. It has an, an introduction, salutation, thanksgiving. Um, it has uh, the body of the letter, which contains a parenthesis section, uh, and you also have a, a conclusion to the letter, and uh, so it it follow is very similar to a Greco-Roman letter of the first century. In fact, if you read one of those, uh, you would in there you, like uh, Adolf Diceman puts that out in his book Life in the Ancient East, and uh, it's quite quite fascinating. But uh, so this uh, this particular it was a lot of major themes in this book. We pointed out um, we pointed out that uh, unity. Um, Love, the practice of the command to love one another is a big major theme. Actually, actually those two go together because uh, the purpose of this letter, as we pointed out, was that um, that the Christian community uh, would continue to uh, stay unified experientially uh, through the practice of the command to love one another. And he has in mind the Jewish and Gentile com- communities um, uh, continuing to function with each other. And uh, that was a big problem in the first century. He wanted to see that to continue in the Roman province of Asia. Although the Ephesian Christian community was primarily Gentile, and and most of the Christian communities in Asia were. Uh, The minority was the Jewish Christians. So we see that uh, that's the major theme of this uh, purpose of this letter. There were other themes that we noted in uh, in our introduction that are found in this letter. There's the gospel, there's truth, uh, they go together. You have the church. Uh, We also have the personal work of the Spirit and the personal work of Jesus Christ, in particular, also, our union identification with him is another major, major theme, positional truth in this letter. Um, so there's, uh, the, and then there's spiritual warfare, big section on a, a spiritual combat with the kingdom of darkness in Ephesians 6. So there's quite a interest, a lot of great themes in this letter and we're really going to have a, I'm, I'm really going to have a fun time studying it. I'm, I'm, I'm coming toward the end of my studying uh, Ephesians 118. I'm almost finished off that verse, which is very difficult because of the syntax is kind of, bizarro for Paul, uh, what he does, but uh, it's uh, it's fun nonetheless. I love that. But uh, so it's going to be a fun fun letter to uh, to study and to teach. So I'm I'm usually I'm I'm but the, the lessons I teach now are I'm usually four months ahead of when. So if I finish off Ephesians 1:18, it'll be another four months before we would uh, be June before we teach that verse. So we we're going to uh, go through this verse by verse, and there's a lot of golden nuggets in this letter. And by at the same time going verse by verse, I'm not gonna lose sight of the fact, you know, going verse by verse through this letter is kind of going through the, the trees of the forest individually, but I'm not gonna let you lose sight of the fact of the, the forest in which these individual trees, these verses are found. So I always keep uh, keep us in mind, keep that in mind at all times when we interpret this book. So today we're gonna to be noting, begin to note verse one, which contains, as we saw in our introduction, in the study of the form and structure of this letter, In the introduction we have the identification of the author of the letter which is paul and uh, which as we pointed out has been um disputed Uh, a lot of people think this is a pseudonymous letter like uh, first timothy and second timothy and titus Uh, of course uh that's is 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 ridiculous i say ridiculous because they paul clearly uh in the early church with tertullian Made it clear that uh, it was never accepted pseudonymous letters. Uh, Tertullian, in his work on baptism, he pointed out never uh, the, he reported that uh, a pastor was excommunicated because he was posing, writing letters saying that he was Paul because he wanted to increase the fame of Paul. They excommunicated with him, even though he had he wanted to increase the fame of Paul. They never accepted that kind of behavior. And also, Paul says that in 2 Timothy. And chapter, at the end of his letter there, he says, in a book we studied in detail, he said, uh, you know, this is the authenticating mark that I use. And he had to use that because somebody was, uh, he was afraid that somebody, uh, there was a false doctrine in Thessalonica saying that the day of the Lord had taken place in their day and age, the tribulation period, and that had no, was not the case. And he said, even if somebody wrote a letter allegedly from us, it's not true. So he He's put that authenticating mark there because this, in the future, will protect them from forgeries. He was concerned about forgeries. He makes that clear in Ephesians, uh, Colossians four eighteen, Galatians six eleven. He mentions this. Not all the letters, but it's there. So they never accepted pseudonymous letter, and uh, I know that's the the primary thing, uh, view of of many uh, evangelical scholars with regards to First, Second Timothy, Titus, and uh, I think that's uh, again incorrect to interpret that way. But Paul says, puts his name on this letter and the burden of proof is, okay, you have to have good evidence that Paul is not the Paul that we know, the Apostle Paul that wrote this letter. You better have really beyond the shadow of a doubt evidence that that's, uh, that uh, Paul's not really writing this letter. In fact, uh, the early church, they all recognized this book is not only canonical, inspired by God from the very beginning, but they all re- always recognized it as Pauline in authorship. They never thought for over 1,800 years, it wasn't until the 19th century, that guys started talking about 1st and 2nd Timothy not being Paul. And then in the 20th century and 21st century, you hear Ephesians now. Paul wasn't really the writer of that. It's for, Again, this is astonishing to me. When you look at it for, for almost 2,000 years, the church always recognized this book as being Paul as the author. But us again—it's the arrogance of postmodern, of this postmodern American world we have that, that uh, we think we know more about the, more about the ancient world than the ancients did. <laughs> so and we don't really have much respect for the our, our predecessors, uh, and because the church doesn't really, in general, not always, not everyone, but in general, the church the church really doesn't understand their heritage. And I'm not saying the early church fathers are, got it right all the time, but uh, when it comes to things like. Authorship of these books and canonization of these books—I think we need to pay attention to them at, at, at all times. So uh, we're going to be looking at the identification of the author of this particular letter today. So uh, if you look at my trans—what I'm going to do? Let's—I uh, got my translated completed. Uh, we'll read—we'll read the um, the NET Bibles translation of uh, the first fourteen verses, and I, I'll do that because you know, the first two verses of the salutation, the introduction, and then verses three to 14 are actually the beginning of the body of the letter, which actually is the, serves as the preface of the letter, which is in the form of the doxology. So let's, we'll read the, the first uh, 14 verses of Ephesians uh, chapter one in the net Bible. And then we'll look at uh, verses one and two in the net, uh, in my translation as well. So, and maybe some of these other translations as well. So, It says, and I'm reading from the Net Bible, in verse 1 from Paul, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in His sight. In love, He did this by predestinating us to adoption as His sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, that He has freely bestowed on us in His dearly loved Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when He revealed to us the secret of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ, toward the administration of the fullness of the times, to head up all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Christ we too, having claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of Him, who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment. The Holy Spirit, as he says, is the down payment uh, of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let me give you my translation of uh, verse 1 and 2, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will to the saints who are living in Ephesus, specifically to those who are believers in Christ Jesus. May the grace originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in peace, cause itself to be manifested for the benefit of each and every one of you. Let me give you the NIV's translation of these two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then lastly, the ESV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we noted in our introduction, the structure of Ephesians is written according to the pattern of letter writing found in the ancient world during the first century. Now, the general form of a first century letter contained the following elements, which we see in Ephesians. One, we have the author identifying himself, and number two, the author identifies the recipient or recipients. Number three, we have the greeting, which would be verse two for uh, Ephesians, and then we have the main body of the epistle, where the Ephesians it begins at Ephesians one three ends in Ephesians six twenty. And then we have the closing greeting, which is uh, verses twenty one to the end of the book. And, uh, and then final, number six, we have a final signature of endorsement by the writer of the letter. Now, the final signature of, uh, signature of endorsement authenticated the letter's contents and served as protection against fraudulent correspondence, as I pointed out to you. And the final signature was also important because frequently an amanuensis was employed by uh, the author, to write the letter, and uh, you see this Romans was written by Tertius. He was the Emanuensis. Of course, Paul had to sign off on this letter. There's a man named Richards who does a great job on, uh, on these books, and how some of them, how much they would have cost in the ancient world, like Romans would have cost a bundle, and it was massive letter compared to other, most letters were like, you know, very, very small. Paul puts out Romans. It's just like a It was like unheard of, like at that time, with what Paul was doing. That cost a lot of money. But he would use guys who were basically at the secretary. And uh, so, uh, and a lot of times he would give them freedom at times, I think. But also at the same time, um, he always had to sign off. He had to check out the contents before he signed off on it and went out to the various uh, uh, destinations that he wanted the letter to go to. So, uh, the amanuensis, his work was always checked by the writer like such as Paul. And so uh, the, the epistolary structure of Ephesians is as follows. We saw this in our introduction where we noted the form and structure of the letter. Number one, we have the identification of the authors we just read in Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. And then number two, as we saw in Ephesians 1.2, we have the identification of the recipients of the letter. Then we have the body of the letter. As I said, it begins at Ephesians 1.3 and it ends in Ephesians 6.20. And then lastly, we have the closing, which is found here in Ephesians in verses 21 to 24 of chapter 6. So therefore, as was the case when Paul wrote the epistle to the Christian community in Rome, the Apostle Paul identifies himself as the sole author of the Epistle to the Ephesians. We've seen in a lot of Paul's letters. We've done a lot of Paul's letters. We've done Romans over 500 hours. When I was in Iowa, we did Colossians, we did first and second Thessalonians. We did first, second Timothy and Titus, We did Philemon. Uh, so we've done. All, in fact, we di- we didn't finish uh, uh, in Iowa Philippians, but we'll be, end up doing it here eventually, um, Lord willing. And so, so but we see and uh, we see like Romans, Paul is the sole author in this letter. He doesn't identify Timothy with him or something like that. So here he also identifies the Christian community in Ephesus as the recipients of the letter. And as we pointed out, uh, however, he is actually writing to the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. And, uh, and not just the Christian community in Ephesus. And uh, we know this because he doesn't, as we pointed out in our introduction, and we'll be noting this again when we note the identification of the recipients of this letter uh, on uh, Tuesday, but uh, we know this was a circular letter for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we have no, identif- no there was no personal greetings that we see in this letter. If you look at the book of Romans, like chapter 16, Paul has a ton of greetings to people. And you would expect Paul to have a lot of greetings for the people that he's in Ephesus because he was there for three years. Uh, Ephesians, uh, Acts 18 all the way to Acts 20 tells us that Acts 18, 19, and 20 make clear that he was there for three years. So he had friends there. He had people, contacts there, but like Priscilla and Aquila, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, but you don't see any re- identification of uh, personal greetings to them. You, so the reason why you wouldn't see that in this letter is because only one reason. It was that it was not, this letter was not written just to the Ephesian, people of the Ephesian Christian community, but other communities as well. Just like First John, First John's the same thing. In fact, First John is really does, you don't even have any identification. You know, no hey I'm Paul. It doesn't, it doesn't follow the typical Greco-Roman letter pattern of letter writing. First John, but it's written. To the various uh, the various churches in the Roman province of Asia, we know that from church history, really, which was and so. John took over for Paul after Paul died, and John was there in the last decade of the uh, the first century. John was uh, ministering to the churches uh, of the Roman province of Asia, just like Paul did, and so in during his uh, final years. And so Paul here in this verse. Oh, here's the other re- here's the other reason why it's not and we've got this again. But the other reason why it's a, we know it's a circular letter is. Uh, the prepositional phrase uh, in in Ephesus, where if you note the Net Bible has a little note when it says in Ephesus, they say the earliest and most important manuscripts, that's what the MSS means, are omitted in, uh, omit in Ephesus. And he gives you the, the P46 and different documents and uh, Sinaiticus and whatnot and, and Alexandrius. And so these are different manuscripts we, that they're, they're identified, these manuscripts are identified with these P forty six. This the papyri, and forty six is the number of the the document. But so um, they don't the earliest, the most important manuscripts. It, they omit this particular prepositional phrase, and um, that's significant. And why would they do that? Well, it, was, it had to be a circular letter. So what Dan Wallace, Doctor Dan Wallace, great scholar, one of the giants of my generation, uh, he uh, has the scenario that uh, Paul wrote this from Rome, sent it to Ephesus because Ephesus was his home base and, and uh, more copies we have more, uh, more copies of this we have all the majority of the copies that we have have the prepositional phrase in it because that was his home base and they made the most copies but also uh, so it was then sent on to Laodicea we know that because Martian what he says one of the ancients he said that he saw the same contents that we call Ephesus Ephesians today he saw it entitled uh, to the saints in Laodicea and that's what a lot of scholars think that what Paul mentions at the end of Colossians chapter four about the letter to the Laodiceans, had that read, that's the Ephesian letter. It, I, it probably is. And uh, because Martians saw evidence for this, okay? And then it was sent on to the other cities in the Roman province of Asia. In fact, I got a, I got a map here. And so... Here's the Roman province of Asia. So it uh, let me get my pen going. I finally find out where the pen, they changed on me. Uh, they changed the, and so I hadn't used the pen in a while, so they had changed, Logos did change up some things, which are great. And I just haven't, couldn't find my pen one day. And I was over here at DBC. Where's the pen? So I use my, my, my mouse pointer. So I got my pen back. So he comes in from Rome, and he wasn't flying. <laughs> Uh, he comes in, and it was a uh, you know, the letter comes in with ticket, with the letter. He comes, he doesn't come and take a jet, you know. He didn't take a, T, a Delta, uh, so uh, he 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 comes in, you know, by land and sea, crosses the Aegean Sea, and so he comes into Ephesus, and they make copies of it, and then was sent off to Laodicea, and then it probably went to Hierapolis, and then you got Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum. You, these are all cities that. Uh, are in the Roman province of Asia, all cities that are mentioned uh, in uh, in Revelation two and three, the seven churches of Asia, and from there they would, they, the letter would be made copies of and sent throughout the Roman province of Asia, eventually to all all the churches throughout the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world. So uh, that's where that's where this uh, particular um, this is how it looks would uh, the, the route that Tychicus would uh, have taken when he hit it was bringing this letter. And he also had Philemon with him, and he also had Colossians. And Colossae was right beside Laodicea, as you can see. Right here, let me get my pen. Colossae, right beside Laodicea. So we studied Colossians. And so uh, so that letter was delivered. The same guy who delivered Colossians was the same guy who did Ephesians, as we pointed out. And he, and he no doubt had Philemon, because Philemon lived in Colossae. Okay, so that's why... We know Philemon was carried by Tychicus as well. So, we see that uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he describes himself in Ephesians 1.1, if you look at the Net Bible, it says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So, Paul, he describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and we're gonna tease that out a little bit here today. He also, as we'll see on Tuesday, gives a twofold description of the recipients. The first is that he describes them as the saints who are living in Ephesus, the second, Description identifies the recipients specifically as those who are believers in Christ Jesus. Now, the word for um, Paul in the Greek is paulos. Let me get back to my full screen here for you. Uh, the personal name paulos, uh, here's the transliteration, here's the Greek here for you. Paulos, uh, it means Paul, and it's used by the author, Paul, when writing to the Christian community in Ephesus and throughout the Roman province of Asia, rather than his Jewish name, Saul, since this community in Ephesus and the various churches of the Roman province of Asia, who are also the recipients of this letter, they were all predominantly Gentile. In fact, Ephesians, he calls them Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. So Paul, and he, this is why he uses his name Paul rather than Saul, is that his name, this name Paul, was, he, he used because uh, when he's with the Gentiles, and this, was his, this would be his, uh, his Greco-Roman name, Uh, So when he went, uh, the name he would use when dealing with the Gentiles, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, as we'll say. And that doesn't mean he didn't went to the Jewish Christian communities, but he did. He went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, like it says in Romans chapter one. But primarily he was sent to the Gentiles, and he would go to the Jewish synagogues in every city first, and then he would go and move on to the Gentiles, and usually after they had rejected him, the majority of Jews rejected him in the synagogue. So Paulos, Paul, is used by the author here when writing to the Christian community in Ephesus and throughout uh, the various uh, Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia, rather than using his Jewish name Saul, because uh, these Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia and Ephesus being included were predominantly Gentiles. So Paul was his name he used among the Gentiles. In fact, as I said a few moments ago, and many times in the past, actually, the Lord Jesus Christ authorized Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This is according to Acts 9.15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Remember, that's uh, uh, the guy he was talking to is Ananias. And so uh, and he was telling him to go see Paul. Now, also Acts 22, 21. Uh, Paul mentions that the Lord said to him in Acts 22, 21, while giving his defense uh, he, before Agrippa, he says, Go, because he said the Lord said, told him, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles, which he did. Uh, Romans eleven thirteen, uh, Paul talks about being an apostle to the Gentiles in that verse, as well as in Romans fifteen sixteen, and also very interesting passage, Galatians chapter one verses fifteen through sixteen, uh, Galatians two two, and Galatians chapter uh, two verses seven through nine. In fact, look at Galatians chapter one with me, and look at it says in verse eleven, Galatians 1.11. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. And this is what we'll see in Ephesians. It was by the will of God that he was an apostle. For I did not receive it, the gospel, uh, or learned it from any human source. Instead, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. He got it directly from Jesus. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God. We'll talk about this this in this lesson today. And trying to destroy it. And I was advancing, when he talks about the Church of God, he's talking about the Christian community. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, many of my contemporaries in my nation, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors, as we'll see in a passage in Philippians, which is autobiographical, Philippians 3. But when the one, and I love this, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not go to ask advice from any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But right away I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. But he says, he set me apart from birth. I, I believe he's taking that uh, from Jeremiah. If you look at Jeremiah chapter one, I definitely think he, there's echoes of Old Testament here with Paul. It says, uh, look at when he's, when, when, uh, Jeremiah is being called to, pro- to be a prophet to the nations and not just the southern kingdom of Judah. Great man. Jeremiah 1.1 says, The following is a record of what Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, prophesied. He was one of the priests who lived at Anathoth in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. Same tribe as Paul. The Lord began to speak to him in the 13th year that Josiah, son of Ammon, was ruled over Judah. We noted Josiah was a good king. And when we study the book of Zephaniah, because Zephaniah was written during that time. And it says in verse uh, 3 the Lord also, there was a time of a bit of revival there in the, in the kingdom of Judah. The Lord also spoke to him when Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, ruled over Judah. And he continued to speak to him until the fifth month of the 11th year that Zedekiah, son of Josiah, ruled over Judah. That was when the people of Jerusalem were taken into exile. And the Lord said to me, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And similarly, I believe that Paul, when he talks about in Galatians chapter one verses uh, verses uh, 15 to through 17, he's it's he's reminded of what uh, um, he's reminded of what uh, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter one about himself. So that's what he's kind of doing in Galatians chapter one. So Paul, as you can see on the board, was an apostle to the Gentiles, and we gave the documentation for that. The Lord personally selected him to do that. And again, that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that he didn't go to the Jews. We know clearly he, that he did. He says this in Romans. And he see, we see it in the book of Acts. He'd go to a Jewish synagogue first, go to the Jews with the gospel first, and then to the Gentiles. So once he was done with the Jews, usually it's after they booted him out, and majority rejected him. Then he went on and told the Gentiles, the, communicated the gospel to them. So Paul, interestingly enough, was from the city of Tarsus, very interest, very famous city in the ancient world, which is in a place called Turkey, where they had that massive earthquake there. Uh, Paul was from the... We should pray for our uh, people over there, of course. And so Paul was from the city of Tarsus, which was the principal city of the Roman province of Cilicia, in the Southeast Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. We know that he came from uh, 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 Tarsus because of what it says in Acts 9.11. It says, uh, Then the Lord told Paul, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at Judas' house look you're talking to Ananias again. Excuse me. Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at Judas's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him, so that he may see him. See, may see uh, again. He was blinded by his, uh, uh, his uh, being uh, confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ. So go back to Ephesians one one. So. We see that Paul was from the city of Tarsus again, which was the principal city of the Roman province of Cilicia in southeast Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. Let's go back to that map and show you uh, where Cilicia is. So you see where Ephesus is, and this is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, so you have Ephesus over here, the left-hand corner. If you go all the way over here, here's Tarsus over here in Cilicia. Okay. So in his third missionary journey, he went from Antioch. To Tarsus was the second stop, which was his hometown, and then he went on to Derby, Lystra, Antioch, Pisidia. And this is according to what the Book of Acts says. And then he went on to Laodicea, and then went on to Ephesus, and then he went up to you know uh, Smyrna and Pergamum, and then swooped around back around again. But uh, to get back to Jerusalem, uh, so we see that Tarsus, this is where he was located, not too far from Syria today, uh, which uh, you know Antioch was in Syria, and so. And in relation to, I don't think we can get uh, get Israel here, but uh, on the board, uh, not too bad. Yeah, see, here's Jerusalem here, so that's a little bit of trek up there. Not really that far. It's like going from uh, New Hampshire to Canada. <laughs> so, anyways, there's Tarsus, great the great city of learning, and this is where Paul was quite an academic. We know this from his looking at his vocabulary uh, in the Greek New Testament. He was quite an academic. He was probably Paul was. No doubt, could speak uh, Latin, which was of the Roman Empire. But he also could speak Hebrew. He could read the original. Uh, he was a Pharisee uh, from Pharisees, so he was a Hebrew-speaking Jew from Hebrew-speaking parents. So he wasn't a proselyte or anything. He could speak Greek, obviously. We know that he probably spoke Latin. Um, I'm sure. I believe that. I, I bet you Jesus probably was could do Latin and Greek too. You know that was spoken, and he, obviously Aramaic, and um, and also uh, Hebrew. Jesus all could speak. We know he, could, he was definitely bilingual because he could speak Hebrew and Aramaic. We know that. But probably too. he probably Greek could do Greek speaking too like a lot of Jews in, in Judea because the Romans were, you know, they spoke Latin in the government and their um, and their law, but uh, they also spoke, like everybody else, Koine Greek. And uh, so I, I believe Jesus probably spoke, four, he could probably have quite, uh, uh, quite possibly, Jesus could have spoke four languages like Paul. So Tarsus, as we can see on our map, was located on the Tarsus River, 12 miles from the Mediterranean coast, as I just pointed out to you. Now, there's a couple of passages in the in the New Testament that are autobiographical with Paul. The uh, first one is in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians 3, 5 and 6, Paul gives a comp- composite sketch, really, of himself prior to his conversion, which marked him out as the top young rising star in Judaism. We saw that he gives a little bit of an autobiographical, autobiographical sketch, as we just read in Galatians chapter one. He was the he was going way past his contemporaries in, in in his zeal for the law, as we pointed out. So his Jewish name again was Saul, and he was the most famous Jew of his day. In fact, how do we know that? Well, if we just show, we just pointed that out in Galatians. Let's see if I can get that for you. Let's see. Get, let me get me Galatians. Oh, I couldn't do it. Let's do this. All right. So as he says uh, in verse uh, 14, Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my ancestors, okay? So this tells us that Paul was probably the top celebrity in Judaism because of his efforts. So let's look at Philippians chapter three, verses one through six on the board. I'm reading from my translation of this book. And uh, this is a book I want to teach. I, I started off teaching it. I never even got through chapter one when I was at, uh, in Iowa, in my first church plant. But uh, I finished the exegesis and Expositions. Actually, one of the first books I ever did. It was the first book I ever did from the original Greek. So I know this book inside out. So we're gonna uh, we'll do it in the future. And uh, it's a great book. And so Philippians chapter three verse one. Again, I'm reading from my translation. From now on, my brothers. You can say it my brothers and sisters. All of you begin rejoicing and continue doing so because of the Lord. Writing these same things for all of you is in fact never bothersome for me, but safe for all of you. Beware of those dogs. He's talking about the Judaizers. Beware of those evil workers. Still talking about them. Beware of the mutilation. And the reason why he describes them this way, the Judaizers, is because these are Jewish individuals who are trying to put Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, Try to put Gentile Christians under the law. We saw them in Acts 15. And after the church council said, No, you don't put the Jews under the or Gentiles under the law, Gentile believers, these guys continue to do that and uh, going against the James and the, what Peter had, uh, had decreed. So he says, Beware of those dogs, beware of those evil workers, beware of the mutilation because we are the circumcision, those who are uh, born again and saved and identify with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. Because we are the circumcision, those who are serving God, the Father, by means of the Spirit of God, who are priding our, themselves in the nature and doctrine of Christ Jesus, who have no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself having confidence in the flesh, if anyone of the same race, i.e. Jewish, claims to have confidence in the flesh, and some claim to have confidence in the flesh, that's the Jews, I more. With respect to circumcision, his, his autobiographical sketch, with respect to circumcision, eighth day, just like he was supposed to as a Jewish boy, descended from the nation of Israel. He's not a proselyte. A member of the tribe of Benjamin, great tribe, uh, the product of uh, Jeremiah is a product of it. A Hebrew-speaking Jew from Hebrew-speaking parents. Legalistically, a Pharisee. Zealously persecuting the church. Self-righteously religious. I conducted myself irreproachably. This is self, uh, He's communicating how self-righteous he was. Also in 1 Timothy, Oh, no, before we go for the first timmy I mean, Now notice this, so he's putting this out there because the Judaizers were always, uh, you know, boasting about their background, kind of like a, a Bible scholar today boasting about his Ph.D. I'm not nothing against it, and they worked hard to get those. I'm sure. Uh, but you well, know, you're, you're, you're I'm a doctor of theology or whatever, you know, or I got a master's of divinity or something like that. So. You know they they're boasting about their, their their credentials, and that's what the Judaizers would do, because they they uh, they thought that would impress the different Christian communities to listen to them rather than Paul. You know Paul was an you know beat up, having ex con, he was rejected by his own people. Uh, he was you know scourged several times by the Jews in the synagogue uh, for uh, being a rebellion and traitor, and promoting Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. By the Jewish authorities and saying he's raised from the dead, so Paul was not; uh, he didn't have much credentials in the eyes of many people. But uh, so that's why he's making a point. He says, "I got better credentials these, than these Jewish um, these uh, Judaizers." Now, let's look at another passage. Look at First Timothy chapter one, verse thirteen. Paul gives us more information about himself prior to his conversion. Again, I'm reading from my translation. First 1 Timothy 1:12 1, through uh, and thirteen, a book we studied in detail. Paul writes, I continually possess gratitude to the one who empowered me, namely Christ, who is Jesus, our Lord, because he considered me for himself as a, as faithful by appointing me for himself for the purpose of service, which we've noted in several passages in Acts and Galatians already. Verse 13, even though he did this, even though I was characterized as being a slanderer, as well as a persecutor, and in addition, an insolent, violent person. See, God can use anybody. But in direct contrast to this, I obtained grace, because being in a state of rejection, I acted due to unbelief. So, uh, go back now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians 1.1. One, one. Ephesians 1.1. One, one. If you look on the uh, Net Bible on the board, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Uh, the word for... Apostolos is the word for apostolo, apostle, apostolos, which refers to the office of an apostle, which was given by the Lord Jesus Christ to only 13 men, Paul re- having replaced Judas Iscariot. Now in our passage in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, this word apostolos, apostle, refers to the temporary spiritual gift of apostleship that held maximum authority in the church. It's temporary because the la- it was only given to 12 men and they all died. So there's no apostles around today that held the office of apostle. I mean, you can use the term apostle, it means having one who's been sent. But we're talking about the office of apostleship when this word is used. So this gift of apostleship was given to only 12 men and existed exclusively during the pre-canon period of the church age and is no longer existent, as as I said earlier, it's no longer existent today because all 12 men have died and went home to be with the Lord. Now the noun apostolos, apostle, appears in the salutation of several of Paul's epistles, Namely, Romans 1.1, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 2 Corinthians one, Galatians 1.1, and Ephesians 1.1, and Colossians 1.1. However, interestingly enough, it doesn't appear in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philippians, and Philemon. So Paul, when he uses this word, though, there's a reason for that. Paul uses the word to establish his authority, that his authority is from the Lord himself. Romans 1.1, Ephesians one, Colossians 1.1. And so he uses it when his authority or teaching is being questioned and rejected, by those to whom he is writing, like in First and Second Corinthians and Galatians. Sometimes, the, there's another reason why, and I would put it up here in my notes, but there's another reason why he, and it's related to Ephesians, another reason why he doesn't put uh, apostle, uh, that he might put apostle uh, up there, is not only to establish his authority that was from the Lord with uh, groups like the Corinthians who and Galatians who rebelled against his teaching, um, he he would use it also Uh, for individuals who were, he didn't know. He didn't know, like for instance, this is a circular letter Ephesians. So there's a lot of Christian communities that don't know him face to face and don't know that he's an apostle. They might not know that. So that's why he puts it there in Ephesians. And, And in Thessalonians, the Thessalonians and the Philippians were faithful to Paul's teaching and he had a great relationship with them. So he didn't use the term apostle when writing to them. His authority was established and respected. Philemon, He doesn't use apostle in when he's writing to Philemon because Philemon was a personal friend of his. It was a personal note that letter, and thus there was no need of Paul to establish his authority with these churches and Philemon. So the twelve men who were selected, if you look at uh, uh, Roman uh, Matthew chapter ten verses ten through uh, chapter ten verses verse two through four. There were only 12 men who were selected by the Lord Jesus Christ in the office of apostle. Uh, Number one, Simon Peter. Then you had Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, Simon the Canaanite, James the son of Alphaeus, not the lesser, Thaddeus, also called Jude, and Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul. Now in Acts chapter 1, verses 26, Matthias was selected to be an apostle by lot to replace Judas Iscariot who killed himself. However, the selection was not honored by God because he was not personally selected by the resurrected Christ as the other 11 men were, nor did he demonstrate any sign gifts. So this is why Matthias was never really, it shows that record there because it shows Peter was not waiting for the Lord. That's why he puts it in there, the way the Holy Spirit saw fit to put that selection of Matthias. Peter was, was the Lord had to personally select him, just like he personally selected all the other apostles and he personally selected Paul, but he didn't personally select Matthias. Okay, the, choosing him by lot uh, was an Old Testament way of doing things, and they didn't do it. Uh, there was a new a new covenant had been established, so one of the requirements also, one of the, requi- the reason why we know Matthias didn't have the gift of apostleship. One of the requirements for and Paul did, of course. One of the requirements for holding the office of apostle was the experience of seeing the resurrected Christ, as Paul had when defending his ministry in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. It says, Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And he says, if I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the confirming sign of my apostleship in the Lord. He evangelized them and discipled them. That's why he says what he says there. Now, another requirement for holding the office of apostle is that of possessing sign gifts. Paul just mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. Uh, such as healing, uh, was one of those gifts. Paul demonstrated he had the gift of healing many times during the course of his ministry, Acts 14.10, 16.18, 20, 10, and 28, 8. He also had the gift of tongues. We noted that uh, in 1 Corinthians 14.18 makes that clear, which is the, basically he could speak uh, multiple languages that he wasn't trained in. Now, the office and spiritual gift of apostleship, was not appointed until after the resurrection and ascension and session of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's according to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. And uh, as Paul says, I therefore the prisoner the, for the Lord urge you to live in a worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and then he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were two were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace, that's the spiritual gift, was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives and he gave gifts to men. So, he's, when he and then he goes on and talks about the communication gifts in verse eleven, but he is, is upon his ascension and session of the right hand of the Father, and after the gift of a day of Pentecost, then he started giving gifts to those who had trusted in him as Savior. Now the distribution, according to First Corinthians twelve eleven, however, the distribution of spiritual gifts was authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of his death, resurrection, ascension, and session. However, the actual appointment. Of the spiritual gift of apostleship was made by the Holy Spirit, because it says in 1 Corinthians 12:11, "It is one and the same Spirit, distributing as He decides to each person who produces all these things." So Jesus Christ sends the Spirit as He promised in in, in, the, in uh, John 15 and 16, those chapters and 17. So we see that um, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sovereignly uh, designates who's getting what gift course, this is all in agreement with the Father and the Son's will. Now, the spiritual gift of apostleship functioned under two categories. Number one, they were writers of the New Testament. Number two, they established local churches. And under the second, establishing of local churches, they were responsible for clarification of mystery doctrine, which we'll note in this letter, and the maintenance also of a true systematic theology with dispensational emphasis. And uh, also, number three, the training of pastors, as we can see, and also the establishment of local church policy. We can see that clearly from First Timothy. Now Paul, and we'll close with this uh, few points here, Paul was personally commissioned by the resurrected Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles, as we pointed out. And as was the case in First and Second Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 1, one 2 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, and Paul in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, asserts that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, Dia Thalamatos is the prepositional phrase in the Greek. There it is on the board, and it's you could translate it by God's will. In other words, this prepositional phrase indicates that Jesus Christ himself selected Paul to be his apostle through the intermediate agency of the Father's will. So therefore, in other words, it was according to the Father's will that he chose him to be an apostle. So therefore, Paul was chosen to be an apostle of Jesus Christ because it was the Father's will for him to be so. This expression, by God's will, is related to the divine decree of God, which took place in eternity past, before anything was ever created, and is God's eternal and immutable will. So therefore, Paul, when chosen to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of the Father, he means, when he says that, he means that in eternity past, before anything was ever created, we saw in Galatians, in Jeremiah, the same way, Jeremiah chapter 1, when he talks about, that uh, he was chosen to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of the Father, he means that in eternity past, before anything was ever created, the Father, from his omniscience, knew that Paul would trust in his Son, Jesus Christ, his Savior, on the road to Damascus. So then, consequently, he sovereignly chose Paul to make that decision, meaning that he saw from his omniscience that Paul would trust in his Son and then decreed that the decision would take place in time. And so, this is the problem with Calvinist Arminius. They can't get past this. Um, the the sovereign will of God and this free will of human beings and angels uh, co- uh, coexist per the divine decree of the Father, and that, how's that shake out? How's that tease out? Well, in the, in the, let's like, say like election, as we'll see in this book, the Father elected us in eternity past that by predestinating us to be for adoption as sons and to be confirmed to the image of His Son, ultimately, and so He elected us and predestinated us in eternity past. This election of predestinating us manifested itself in time when we were declared justified by the father through faith in jesus christ so the sovereign will of god was not diminished in any way by through the function of human volition okay per the divine decree because they, the father decreed in eternity past that the free will of human beings and angels would coexist with his sovereign will so in other words he sovereignly decided that we would make the decisions that we would make including believe in jesus christ as our savior and every other decision we would ever make in our lives. That's both men and angels, past, present, and future. So that's so. therefore, the sovereign will of God is never diminished in any ways because of the function of human volition. Very important. I would say, what a great book that, 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 that turned me on to that. And there's other books out there now, but they're few and far between. But there's, I, I wish I could have the name of the guy off the top of my head, but it was a guy named Bob Theme Jr., we did a book called Integrity of God and in his appendix he had the thing on the divine decree it was one of the greatest things ever written <laughs> It's unbelievable and uh, that he would he knocked off there but it's like it was an appendix and just read and study that and you know the, the whole Calvinist Arminius thing is just ludicrous they keep, nobody listens to each other nobody's getting past uh, what the others saying. in fact Calvinist wasn't even a Calvinist Calvin wasn't even a Calvinist Basil was a Calvinist he was a five point Calvinist the Arminius believes you can lose your salvation and the, the Cal, five-point Calvinists, they, they diminished uh, human volition. They think uh, the function of human volition will uh, be diminished, uh, will diminish the sovereignty of God. That's what they're very concerned, five-point Calvinists, with that. And they, they also believe in uh, limited atonement, which is ridiculous. They, over and over, the and I'm going to say ridiculous because it is, in my opinion, it is ridiculous because I mean, it's all over the place that he's, uh, God uh, you know, wants all people to be saved. So, he doesn't elect some people to be saved and others to be, go to eternal condemnation. That's a joke. There's no way you can find that in Scripture. That's the case. And you can write me if you want. <laughs> so, let's close with this <laughs> as, I, as I beat up the Calvinists. Okay, it says, uh, in, in, so in my notes, it says here we have uh, when we, Paul talks about he was sovereignly chosen to be an apostle by the will of God, this means that in eternity past, the Father sovereignly chose Paul to be an apostle of his son and thus Paul's apostleship was based upon God's initiative and choice and not his or any human beings. And uh, so therefore, this is he's mentioning this here at the beginning of the letter because some of these people who are going to receive this letter are not familiar with him, like the people of Ephesus would have been because he spent three years with them. There are other church, other cities, other Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia that he never has met. Like for instance, we saw in Colossians, he didn't even know who the Colossians, he didn't even know the, personally the Colossian Christian community, members of that. He knew Epiphras because he trained him and sent him out there and he evangelized and discipled the people out there in Colossae. But he, Paul never personally faced uh, met them like he never met when he wrote Romans. He hadn't yet to have uh, meet the Roman Christian community. Eventually he did. So this is why he's mentioning, he's, a, therefore, he's setting up the message here in this letter is from God. I'm the apostle and I'm chosen personally by the will of God, selected by the Father and the Spirit. And uh, what I have to say is uh, from them and as we'll say. So, so this is the, we finish off uh, ide- looking at the identification of the author here in Ephesians. Now we're going to look at, on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, uh, Lord willing, we're going to note the, re- uh, the identification of the recipients of this letter, which is going to go into the fact that it's a circular letter. And so let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Thanks for joining us, and uh, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and ministering to your people and any unsaved. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.